begin. Welcome to Mass Ave, bringing you conservative news, policy, and insight from the steps of Capitol Hill. I'm your host, Tommy Binion. I'm Emily Vanderbush. Emily, we're back. We're back. It's almost like back to school season. We're past that. I know. Labor Day was yesterday. I know. Congress is back. Everyone's back from the long weekend, back from recess. People have sweaters on. Yep. It's fall. We're here. It's almost fall. Uh, It's almost fall. That's right. But uh, uh, if you're a fan of the show, if you are a frequent listener of the show for the past month or so, you've heard us talk about how busy the month of September is going to be. We're here and it's that busy plus some. It sure is. Uh, you said Congress is back first day and since end of July. So what, what are we looking at? Well, uh, the House is back from a five-week break. The Senate's back from a four-week break. Um, the Senate is back to their, their slow ways. They're hmm. confirming a U.S. District Court judge tonight. Very exciting. Uh, the House, on the other hand, um, they have 1,000 amendments filed for a, uh, a massive spending bill pursuant to the September 30th deadline uh, for government spending. Uh, that bill ultimately is going to state the House's position. It'll have a lot of amendments, a lot of policy writers. But the truth is this process is probably going to end in a CR, a continuing resolution, a 60- or 90-day punt um, to try to give the House and Senate more time to work out an actual uh, an actual plan. So uh, – that has the House spinning its wheels this week. Uh, it's important work, but it ultimately won't matter until um, further down the road. The other thing the House is working on is um, Harvey Relief. They're going to yeah. do a vote tomorrow, $7.8 billion um, for immediate Harvey Relief, money that FEMA says it needs right now, yesterday. Uh, and so uh, the House is is responding very quickly. They're going to vote on it tomorrow, and hopefully the Senate follows suit quickly thereafter. Yeah, and so on that note, we had some uh, great guests on the show this week to cover the Harvey disaster efforts. I know Carefano kind of touched on it a little bit last week, but it was great to have Jennifer Marshall um, talking about the the civil society side and the grassroots organizations that are on the ground helping people, and David explaining a little bit of the role of the federal government in that, which I, I found to be very insightful. Absolutely great interview. Can't wait to play it for you. Um, Harvey has been on all of our minds. Um, the images uh, are there are new images every day, and they are stunning and compelling. Um, things that make us uh, proud to be an American. Things mm-hmm. that make us hit our knees and, and, and pray for the victims. Uh, just just really uh, powerful imagery there. Um, the floodwaters are receding in, in most places, although uh, many, many victims will still be underwater for quite some time. So we are we are continuing uh, to pray for Texas and Louisiana and all the victims um, and hope that uh, uh, the silver lining here is the American spirit that that is also uh, so prevalent in the news. Yeah, we, we saw some great scenes coming out of Houston over the past week, so made us all proud. So um, uh, there are there is more news to cover. I know uh, North Korea <laughs> with a, a a big nuclear test. The, the fans of the show will know that we've had Bruce Klingner on uh, three times yeah. to talk about North Korea. Um, since we started this podcast, they hadn't done a an actual nuclear test. They had done some missile testing, uh, and they went a step further than just an average nuclear test. They tested a hydrogen bomb, uh, which is an extraordinarily powerful bomb. Um, every week or two, it seems like North Korea's nuclear program is making an advancement that uh, is is very concerning. 
Yeah, it was definitely a, a busy weekend on the uh, North Korea front. So no rest for the weary, unfortunately. No, no rest for the followers of the news either. We've got DACA to talk about. That's Deferred right. Deferred action for childhood arrivals. Um, Attorney General Jeff Sessions announcing today that the president will end uh, after six months' time, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. This is the program that Barack Obama did. President Obama um, enacted unilaterally on his own, and, and we at the Heritage Foundation criticized that action because clearly, under the Constitution, he does not have the authority to do that. So whatever you think of the underlying policy, um, giving amnesty to, to, to you know folks who came here illegally but as children um, – you, you you know the the facts would lead you to conclude that absolutely a unilateral enactment of this policy out of the White House is unconstitutional, and he's given Congress the ability uh, to do whatever they want on the subject in the next six months. That's plenty of time. Um, if indeed there is political support, and I'm skeptical of that, they've they've tried this for years. If there is political support for the idea, um, then they'll get it done in the next six months. If not. Uh, we'll go back to the way it was before this illegal um, action. Since our last episode, um, the president gave a, a compelling address on tax reform yeah. in Missouri. Uh, expect him to continue to beat that drum on tax reform. I think Republicans see this as a, a, an opportunity for a big win with a major impact. Uh, it's often noted that Republicans really want to do tax reform. Uh, and there's a really good reason for that, because tax reform is going to lead to explosive economic growth. That's the key to really unleashing our economy and getting the, the big growth that's going to um, lift all the boats. And so Republicans, uh, it, it's accurate when you see on the news that Republicans really want to do tax reform, but it's not to do any favors for anybody. It's because they know the economic growth that's on the other side. So I, we're definitely going to see the president continue to beat that drum. And hopefully action in Congress is uh, sooner rather than later. Yep. And on that note, I think it's time to steer on into our interview that we did with David and Sarah and Jennifer Marshall. Would you like to make the intro? Sure. Uh, Jennifer Marshall is uh, the vice president here at Heritage for the Institute for Family, Community and Opportunity. She's also the Joseph C. and Elizabeth A. Anderlich Fellow. Um, Jen um, is responsible for the institute that does health care, education, welfare, and so many other things, uh, leading that institute's research and analysis. Um, Jen is also responsible for coordinating the um, Index of Culture and Opportunity, which is a great document here at the Heritage Foundation, which if you haven't seen it yet, you should take a look at it. It studies all kinds of interesting markers uh, within our culture. We've talked about it on this show, but check that out online. Uh, we're happy to have Jen with us today. Uh, alongside David and Sarah, um, who's a policy analyst here at Heritage for Homeland Security and Cyber Policy. Of course, FEMA is at the Department of Homeland Security, and David uh, is an expert on all things Homeland Security, including disaster response. He was part of uh, the team here at Heritage that led the analysis of the response of Superstorm Sandy, um, and is bringing that expertise to bear as we analyze the, the government's response to Hurricane Harvey and even um, even Hurricane Irma that, that, that's coming. It's, uh, let's go ahead and roll the tape. 
Jennifer and David, welcome to Mass Ave, and thanks for joining us today. Um, today we're talking about the damage in Houston and the surrounding areas. Um, Jennifer, we'd like to start with you to talk about the important aspect of community that we've seen coming out of Houston and other areas in Texas. Grassroots and faith-based groups do well in these circumstances. Can you take us through why this is so? Yes, it's been so encouraging to see the response of neighbors and the surrounding area and all Americans, actually, so many volunteering to help in a variety of ways. The significance of local groups and grassroots and faith-based organizations has been demonstrated time and time again in these responses to disaster. And that's for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's the fact that these groups are already on the ground. They have been there. They have the networks. It's where people turn naturally in times of crisis, whether that's a church or some sort of organization at the local level that they know the membership of. Uh, that's where people go. It's the it's a part of their daily life all Already. So the fact that they already have presence in the community is a huge advantage. That makes local groups able to help the state or even the federal emergency authorities that might come in to provide additional support and targeted support. But the people who know the maps, the people who know the cultural zip code, as my friend Bob Woodson likes to talk mm -hmm. about, are, are those organizations that have been there year in and year out, uh, day in and day out beforehand. Faith-based organizations also have the unique capacity to respond beyond the material need, uh, to respond to the psychological, the relational, the spiritual crisis that this often causes when you have suffered such loss of loved ones, of everything you've known in life. Um, these are losses that can go much, much deeper, obviously, than the material. And those are things that are going to last and therefore, the ongoing support of faith-based and community organizations is, is critical as well. The staying power that they have, they're going to be there when FEMA moves out. They're going to be there years from now, still helping people regain their footing, regain their trajectory in life. Uh, these are the unique things that, that faith-based and, and local organizations can bring in the wake of a disaster like we're seeing now. Well, when we do have these disasters, the news tends to focus on the response of whoever the current administration is or FEMA. Um, they, they put a lot of emphasis on the performance of, of those groups, how the, how the government is coordinating. But uh, it sounds like what you're saying is that actually the response of the community itself and the civil organizations and the religious organizations within the community are a bigger determining factor in, in how a city recovers. Is that the case? They actually can be. When when our colleague Jim Carafano and I wrote about this back in 2007, um, we talked about the fact that those immediate hours are so critical in the response. And I'm sure David will have more to say about this in, in, this, in the case of Harvey. Um, but these folks are, are there and the, they're the, the, you know, the, the people that you reach out to and literally can touch people who, who are connecting physically um, and, and also at a very um, emotional and, and relational level because they're in it with the people who are suffering as well. Um, that, that, that immediacy of their response and the staying power of their response, I think, are, are two of the distinguishing factors that we see in faith-based and grassroots uh, responses. I really like the phrase cultural zip code that you said comes from um, Bob Woodson. Um, one of the things that comes to mind as we're talking about this, um, every 
religious or faith-based organization, every charity in every town sort of has a, has a current caseload that, that basically makes up the vulnerable population, vulnerable population in a city. Those people have got to be the most vulnerable in a natural disaster like this. Uh, and, and those are some of the most positive stories we're, we're hearing about is, um, you know, an individual who served by a certain charity, uh, you know, was was rescued or or they knew about the whereabouts of somebody because of that. Are you hearing stories like that? Yeah. You know, uh, Bob Woodson runs what's called the it's now named the Woodson Center appropriately after him, but it was called the Center for Neighborhood Enterprise. And it was connecting groups who are working on the local level uh, to respond to needs of poverty and uh, homelessness, uh, prisoners coming back into the community and so on. And uh, the characteristic of these groups is that they know the needs of a community. They know where the resources are. They know how to connect people. Um, it's it's like any of us in our hometown, right? We, we know what the best dive restaurant is, and it's right. not advertised necessarily to tourists. Um, but we know that that community like the back of our hand. And that's um, what these grassroots groups can do is to connect people with the resources um, and, and to know what's, um, you know, what's still standing after a disaster is hit and know if that place is not functional, where do we go next and next and next? Um, they've got a longer repertoire and they can be guides, as I said, to, to the uh, emergency responders coming from state and federal level. Well, one more question before we let you go, Jen. Um, we think at Heritage, and, and especially in your shop, about um, the the long term trajectory of uh, religious and faith based organizations, our, our, our civic organizations. You study those things as part of the index of culture and opportunity. Do you think that? Um, it, obviously, we've we've talked now about the role that they play in disaster recovery, but. The long-term trend is for the government to take, you know, to, to take the role of some of our, our civic organizations and some of our charities and, and for people to rely more on the government for some services that they may have gotten uh, decades ago from their church or, or, or a more local organization. Uh, does that trend concern you as it uh, as it relates to disaster recovery? And what is the current trajectory? Uh, uh, you know, it's it's very concerning. And the fact that we talk about the family, we talk about religious congregations, we talk about neighborhood and community as first lines of defense. Well, this is exactly what we mean, is that these are places you can turn when trouble comes. And when those aspects are not available in a person's life, it leaves them more vulnerable to crisis, more vulnerable to disaster. Disaster. Uh, now, obviously, ev everybody ha is literally swamped in this situation. But those that network of relationships, when there is a broader relation connection to a religious congregation, to community associations, it offers an individual more places to turn, more places if one house is underwater. There are two or three other choices to go to of people you know who are maybe outside the flood zone. Um, that kind of connectedness at a civil society level is something that has eroded in recent decades, and it is concerning. So for the long term, you know, we talk. We're, I'm, I'm sure David's going to differentiate for us the phases of recovery and um, moving out of relief and recovery and into the long term rebuilding. And one of the things that's important for us, I think, at a civil society level, is to remember why. 
we are concerned about the health and stability of the family um, for those who are vulnerable. It's why we are concerned uh, in part about religious liberty, because we want these faith-based organizations to be strong and agile to respond in crises like these. And if you're allowing policy to undermine the religious liberty of faith-based groups, then you're making them less able to respond in moments like this. That's exactly not the way we want to go and why we're standing up for things like the First Amendment Defense Act at the federal level, why we want to protect religious liberty at every turn in Congress and in state legislatures. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Jen. That is a a great insight to have um, looking to the, the disaster relief for Hurricane Harvey. Did you know you can now listen to all of our events through SoundCloud or just by visiting our events page on heritage.org? You now have access to hundreds of events and compelling discussions on policy issues from your car, on the train, or the comfort of your own home. Visit heritage.org events for more information or search for the Heritage Foundation on SoundCloud. We're back with Mass Ave. Here joining us is David and Sarah to talk about the recovery efforts um, in Houston after Hurricane Harvey. Uh, What we're looking at specifically is to discuss the role that local, state, and federal governments play during major disasters such as Hurricane Harvey. Um, Jen already touched a lot on the role that local communities play. David, how do state and federal governments coordinate during disasters like Hurricane Harvey to kind of counter that? Yeah, so uh, this is a, a you know, clearly a very important point in, uh, in the past when you know Hurricane Katrina and other things have taken place. There's been a lot of criticism leveled at um, state and especially federal authorities for things that have not gone well. Um, and in this case, you know what we so far have seen is I think a a, a, a much a better response from from the federal government and the state government. Um, and the way that you know I think this, this primarily works is that uh, FEMA is on hand ready to support um, primarily in the beginning state and local initiatives. Um, we're looking as Jen talked about, the state and local community groups are going to be the ones who are going to be there on the scene ready to go. But then you also have um, na- uh, international community or national community organizations like um, Salvation Army and things like that who are also usually well positioned ahead of time. But then there are state resources that are have, pl- have plans and procedures about where they want to be ahead of time before the disaster strikes so that they are ready to assist those in need. But the reality is, is that it's really going to be those state and locals who are going to be there first. FEMA is now obviously responding as well. Um, the Coast Guard is plays a critical role, especially when you're dealing with disasters along a coastline. Um, and the National Guard will also be called up. The National Guard can be called up either by the governor himself, in a, and they can serve in various state capacities, or they can be f- called up um, by the president. Um, in this case, um, you know, we're, we're, clearly in the initial hours, these are cases where they're being called up by the governor, and they remain under the control of the governor. Um, so those are different elements of the federal response that, that, that pair together with the state and local response to, to give us, I think, what we have today, which is, uh, like I said, a, a fairly good response to Hurricane Harvey. But obviously, there's uh, no amount of response that can also save uh, some innocent lives, which is, which is so sad. So fairly good response is is the grade you're giving. Um, let's get into that a little bit. It's a massive undertaking. It's yeah. uh, state, local, and federal. It's military in in some cases, the Coast Guard, governors, mayors, the president, congressmen, senators. Yeah. You know, we're, we're talking about just about every aspect of government involved in a critical effort. Um, lives are on the line. Property damage is on the line. 
Um, and so there's a lot of focus that goes into the performance of the government. It, it almost seemed like in this case, uh, because it's early in President Trump's presidency and because there have been some other um, disaster recovery times that the presidents didn't perform so well, uh, that the news almost covered the president's response before they started covering hmm. the hurricane. Uh, and so we've heard a lot about this, but I want to get into specifics on it. Sure. Uh, what did he do well in, in your mind and what did the, the administration at large do well? Yeah. Well, you know, I would say this, that some people I think, you know, and this is, I think, a, a certain unwinnable battle. Some people have criticized presidents when they go down to a scene because they say that, well, why are you there? You are, you know, sucking up resources away from first responders. While other times, if you if you didn't go, they say, well, why aren't you there comforting people and being, you know, a, a cheerleader that gets them gives them hope? Uh, I think that's sort of a, a, a damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of scenario. I think the president made a call to that that he would go to those areas and help support and sort of rally the troops, as it were, to try to bolster the, the spirits of those who were affected by this. I, I think that's the appropriate as an appropriate response. As the president of the United States, we want to see um, we want to see our president, you know, consoling people and leading them and um, and, you know, trying to lift their spirits by saying that he is there for them and that all Americans are, are, are there for those people. So I think that's entirely appropriate. In terms of the, the larger government response, uh, you know, so far we also have seen, like I said, uh, from all the way from the local to the federal government, whether it be the Coast Guard, the military, you know, which is, is a military apparatus working out of DHS. They've been saving lives day in and day out, rescuing people from rooftops, um, saving people who got caught out in floods. They, it's what they do and what they train are trained for. And, and in, addition, in addition to so many other duties they have, and they clearly have performed very well. Um, we also have the, the government doing, uh, I think, you know, good work legitimately in getting um, and working with its partners in these these aid organizations to get aid to people. We, As far as we can tell, we haven't seen the same sort of chaos that we've had in, in some past disasters. Some of that is also, though, in con- conjunction with, with local and state governments doing things like trying to restrict looting and tr- trying to maintain order in, in, these, in these areas, which are Honestly, so often completely without order. I mean, you literally have the breakdown of nearly every social apparatus after a flood when people can't get around but, or can only get around with boats. So at all different levels of government, I think we've seen a, 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 a fairly good response um, that has uh, – I, I don't think we should be you know, overtly criticizing any particular decision or, or I guess we would say pieces of clothing worn by certain people to, to go or to or from places. I think they were just trying to um, – help those and encourage those who are hurting. You mentioned FEMA earlier. What is the role that they play and are going to play um, as you know, they continue in the cleanup efforts? Yeah. So FEMA, FEMA's role is going to you know, shift here from you know, helping with, with food and water and supplies. And we're going to shift from you know, just basically essentials of keep people afloat to cleaning up after these disasters and then moving into even rebuilding. Uh, FEMA, it, one of its, it's got several programs that it runs, um, two of which I think we'll, we'll try to talk about here. One is the Disaster Relief Fund. Um, this fund is primarily the primary fund responsible for cleaning up and helping to rebuild a lot of the um, structures that are lost during a natural disaster. Um, when a the president declares a disaster and there are certain rules about uh, when and what kind of things can be considered a disaster, but when the president declares a disaster, DRF 
funds are dedicated um, to a disaster, and it's the, it's the case that the federal government ends up paying for up to 75% of uh, some of the costs involved, which, which is a significant uh, amount. Um, for floods and other things of that nature, then a separate amount of money, the National Flood Insurance Program, is supposed to be um, the one, uh, the, the program that's mostly paying for uh, these things. The problem is, is that both the Disaster Relief Fund and the National Flood Insurance Program are not exactly on stable footings. The National Flood Insurance Program I think is $25 billion in debt at this point. That's because basically the government subsidizes um, uh, insurance premiums uh, and has consistently done so. So every time there's a big disaster or a big flood, the government is paying out more than it's collecting in these flood insurance premiums. And, and the majority of homes that were flooded uh, in Texas last week Don't. are not enrolled in the flood insurance program. Exactly. And so sometimes then you even are going to have disasters that are just beyond the scope of these things. So some – they were outside the floodplains. They were outside the traditional areas where you need flood insurance. And so then it's going to fall to private insurance or just to private individuals that's going to come out of their own pocket. All point is all these things are – these are all expensive, and so these different pools where money is going to come from. Um, but in this case, yeah. So, so the DRF, uh, sorry, the, the National Flood Insurance Program, a, it's not on stable footing, and b, it's not even necessarily going to be, as you point out, uh, uh, it's not going to be contributing to every single f- home that's underwater. The Disaster Relief Fund also has its um, uh, fiscal problems. It's supposed to sort of be the rainy day fund for disasters here in the U.S. But the problem is every single year the rainy day fund runs dry uh, and there's never money put aside for the big disasters like Harvey. Instead, every year the, US, the federal government spends so much of its time responding to smaller disasters that were traditionally – and I think Jen talked about this earlier – traditionally more of these things were handled by state and local governments or by state and local organizations. They were the ones who stepped up and if there was a hurricane in a town – or sorry, a hurricane, a tornado in a town, that would be a state and local response. You, this, this isn't a federal disaster at all. But now increasingly those smaller disasters have become federalized disasters, which means that the federal money gets involved. But that means that FEMA isn't ready for Harvey because all that money, all that resor- all those resources, all that focus has been spent on the littler disasters and none is left for for the big ones. And that's a big problem um, that I think we're running into, which is why we're having to have a – we're definitely going to have a big debate here in Congress about how is how it is how is it that FEMA and the DRF fund are going to be funded? And I know that's a topic which Congress even now is, is taking up. Right. Yeah, they're going to vote tomorrow. Uh, the House is going to vote tomorrow on the first tranche of that money that um, the, the DRF or the DRF is down to a billion dollars. Uh, and they're going to vote on a package of $7.8, $7.85 billion like dollars, um, tomorrow. Then, of course, that will go to the Senate. Um, that's not meant to be uh, comprehensive. That's meant to be, okay, let's get through this week and this month uh, and backfill the DRF um, and go from there. So certainly, uh, by the way, also the National Flood Insurance Program is set to be reauthorized and and hopefully reformed uh, this month as well. So there are some immediate short-term in the next week or two actions from Congress that are um, fill, fulfilling immediate needs. You know, yeah. I, FEMA yeah. would not make it through the rest of this week, I don't think, uh, without uh, without uh, an influx of money. And that's certainly reflected in the request the president made of Congress and the speed at which Congress is responding to it uh, with the first vote coming Tomorrow, um, let's move on then to the sort of disaster recovery. Um, yep. 
there is immediate relief. Yep. And then there is um, recovery. And that takes money uh, and time. Um, When we look at our past disasters in recent history, Sandy and Katrina, um, most of us have a really negative memory associated with the politics of the recovery phase of that, whether it be the spending bill uh, or or, um, politics and the blame game and those kinds of things. Harvey doesn't seem like it's going that way to me. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so uh, I would agree that so far th- there appears to be, and maybe this is because this first part seems to be going better, I think, than, than past disasters, that maybe we're, all, we're just starting on slightly more optimistic terms. People seem to be working better together. Um, but no, you're, you're, you're exactly right. They're in the past, especially you think back to, to Sandy when, uh, you know, there was, you know, a lot of members who 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 voted down or voted against uh, um, legislation. And they had good reason. To, and they had good it, reason. It was full of pork. It was full of pork, exactly. And we 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 looked at that legislation when it was passed, and the amount of money going to the DRF fund was was pitiful. And most of it was just here's extra money for infrastructure, or you know, money that was loosely titled disaster, you know, improvements kind of stuff that would you know help some dam somewhere in across the country be better. You know, yeah, that money is still going out today. I mean, yeah, it was exactly. a, you know they had a timetable to spend it over ten years, and they called it emergency recovery. Exactly, money. that's not fair. And it was an emergency, and it wasn't all about recovery. So it's it was just yeah, it was Washington at its not at its finest, let's say. Um, and so so far with this this the strategy that the House is is taking up, and that the the, the White House seems to be um, uh, leading with this tranche idea that we're going to supply just immediate needs first, and we're just going to get money into the disaster relief fund to actually assist with that initial um, this initial cleanup and and the the initial recovery efforts. There's going to be future debates on this, and we just have to hope. And I think you know hope that we have you know members of Congress and and a president who continue to say we we shouldn't be putting pork. We shouldn't be putting this long term spending into these bills. These these bills should be about making sure that the DRF is has enough money to pay out its obligations. The government has made a commitment to pay X amount of money through the DRF or through the National Flood Insurance Program, the government should live up to its obligations, but it needs to reform those programs. That way, we next time we're having this debate, th- that these programs are on sound footing, so we don't even have to go into these supplementals or these emergency spending pools, or at least not nearly as much. All right, so let's let's shift gears from recovery then to preparedness. Yes. Uh, we are facing down another very large, very strong hurricane. It's Irma. Irma. Um, it's a Category 5, and it's off the coast of Florida. Um, there are some Caribbean islands being affected by it now. But yes. are we prepared to face another disaster as we're recovering from Harvey? Do we have the ability to sort of face a, a two-front disaster? Well, I'll say this. As as we talked about with Jen, there, state and local resources are certainly available. So, our, you know, the, the first first responders are certainly in place. But that being said, international organizations and – or sorry, national uh, organizations that, that go across the United States, you know, like, like the Salvation Army, uh, you know, World Relief, organizations like that. The Red they, Cross. The Red Cross. They certainly have limited – you know, limited capabilities, um, and the federal government also has limited workers that it can send. And even, um, you know, right now there are probably uh, you know uh, national guardsmen or military assets or coast guard assets that are right now doing stuff in Harvey that will have to be redirected. 
you know, to wherever this one lands. And so there are finite resources. And so that could, in theory, negatively impact recovery. Um, and certainly just the, the fact that there's going to be another disaster and more people displaced also just, you know, is, is, is also, it's just not helpful at all. I mean, no one, no one wants to be impacted by these things. And it certainly is drawing resources and, and hurting people, which indirectly certainly hurts our ability to recover from Harvey. All right. And that seems like a good place to wrap it. Um, thanks so much for your time and joining us today. And um, I guess we'll keep an eye on the next hurricane. Thanks, Jennifer and David. Um, I hope the listeners got a lot out of this. Jen and David are, are two of the busiest folks at Heritage right now with all the focus uh, on Harvey. So we appreciate them making time. Um, one thing I did want to point out to our listeners is a really interesting series going on over at the Daily Signal by uh, the Daily Signal's Kelsey Harkness. It's called Underreported. And what she does is she takes some significant news stories that aren't getting the attention they deserve by the, the rest of the media and going in-depth with the subject of, of those news stories. This week, today, actually, we're releasing her latest Underreported. It's about Jack Phillips, who's the owner of Masterpiece Cakes uh, in Colorado. He's got a case in front of the Supreme Court this fall. Well, they'll decide whether or not the government can compel him to violate the tenets of his religion uh, and and create a cake for uh, a wedding ceremony uh, against his religious beliefs. So um, that is really interesting. Check that out on thedailysignal.com, or you can find it on The Daily Signal on Facebook. Uh, on The Daily Signal's Facebook, you'll also find their very extensive collection of Facebook Live videos, uh, which if you're following this, you would, you would get a lot out of The Daily Signal's Facebook Live channel as well. So I encourage you to do that. We're happy to have you on all of our channels. We hope there's something for you on each one of them, but we're especially happy to have you here on Mass Ave. Uh, click subscribe, rate us on iTunes. Uh, it, it'll make sure you know whenever we've recorded a new episode. Um, we, we thank you so much for listening. Uh, it's going to be a busy week, but we, uh, as always, we've enjoyed our time.